Dory 1, this is Fireteam Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Welcome back to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, episode 30. Before we get started with this week's episode of Brad Ritter, I just want to apologize for the last two weeks' episodes are released with an editing error. They've both since been corrected, but I know you guys have a choice where you spend your time, and I know that it's valuable, and I want to make sure I continue to respect that time, and errors make that time frustrated when you want to listen to what the episode says, and it's not there. So for that, I apologize. I realize I've let you guys down as listeners, and I accept that I will step forward and try to resolve those issues that made those happen and commit to releasing a better podcast in the future. Today's episode with Brad Ritter is a very good one. I won't go into a lot of detail before we get started because I really just want to get you guys into this show. And with that, let's get this show started. What happens when you've never been truly tested by life? If we've never experienced severe illness, tragedy, death, or even war, how do we know how if we have mental toughness to face adversity and persevere in life? Today, I have one of my close friends from the DadJed online community I'm a part of, Brad Ritter. In his 30s, he was all by definition a success. He had a big house, a great marriage, healthy kids, and a rock-solid job. But he felt something was missing. He had never been truly tested by life. He wanted to find out what he was made of. It was time to shake things up and get uncomfortable. Brad talks about how he endured SEAL-fit co-course training, the world's premier training event for foregoing mental toughness. He also talks about his DadJed Alliance community that he part of and named Fight Club. And now he has helped the men in his group develop and grow. Other things to know about Brad, he's 39 years old. He has 13, he's been married for 13 years, two boys, a boy and a girl. Haley is eight and Brody is five. He is a consultant by trade and author and life coach by night. He's getting ready to launch School of Grit book on January 1st, 2020. And he is a president and founder of Operation Own Your Life, a company focused on helping veterans craft what he calls a desired end state where they can take their life to a different level than they're currently at. Brad, welcome to the show today. Thanks, Ben. It's a pleasure, man. Go ahead and describe your life right now and any gaps that intro you want to add to us. <laughs> any gaps, huh? I, you know, my life is awesome, dude, right now. I'm just, I'm just in a really good place when, when I look at where I am now compared to uh, you know, where I was even, even five years ago. Um, it's, just been, it's just been an amazing trip. And, uh, you know, nothing's perfect, right? We, that's, that's, that's life. Life's hard. We're going to have curveballs thrown our way and different obstacles. But at the end of the day, it's just important to, to take that big picture view. And, and I, I try to do that. I actually try to do that daily uh, with, my, with my own family. And uh, it, it, it's great. I mean, I, I really cherish and try to cherish every day, man. So. So not being a veteran and now having all these superpowers to move your life forward and have mental toughness, why did you pick veterans to point your, your lessons learned to help them along the way? Great question, man. So I am a civilian and uh, why I'm choosing to work with the veteran community, there's several different reasons. Um, but if I go back to, to when I was getting out of high school, 
I was, I verbally committed to my best friend at the time that we were going to join the army together. And, um, he was going to try to be a ranger. I was like, yeah, you know, that sounds cool. Let's do it. And I chickened out, man. I got scared and, and I didn't pull the trigger. And um, my, my life took me another path. I, w- I went to college and um, I wouldn't trade any of that, you know, for the world because I am, I'm here where I am now, right? I was just talking to you about, you know, life being, being good. And um, so one reason I wanted to focus on the veteran community is just I've always felt one of my life's big regrets was not serving this country in some form or fashion. And now that I've got the, um, my business going operation on your life, I can now, I feel like I can now serve those who have served us. So even though I didn't, you know, take the oath and, and, and serve this country in, in that particular way, I can absolutely, um, I mean, even more so take it further and just help those, um, who are in need, especially the veteran community. So that's, you know, that's one piece of it for sure. And then, um, you know, were you, you going to be a, a, an army ranger or were you just going to join the army and your friend was going to be the ranger? I was, I was going all the way, dude. I was going, I was going to ranger school. I don't think I would have been in the ranger battalion. Probably would have gone like, you know, national guard. And I, I live in Indiana, so it's, it's a heavy national guard area, but probably would have been part of, part of that. I, I have, I have no doubt I would have gone to airborne school and ranger school and all that good stuff. So I've just, I've always, I've always had an eye for, you know, that kind of like tip of the spear type stuff. I can bet there's something there to unpack that, uh, through your twenties, you're probably, you can tell me if I'm wrong here or off base, but probably cause I can feel it for myself in other areas, not with the military, but that somehow not accepting that challenge somehow, um, you probably always felt less than what you could be were capable of and probably always had some ceiling on your head that was artificial based on that. You told yourself so long ago that you weren't someone that joined the army. Absolutely, dude. It's uh it's guilt. Ultimately, I think is what it is. And I lived with it for a while. I've come to accept it now. Um, but that was, that, that was definitely something that was with me and, and uh, my best friend, in high school, he's still my best friend today. He was actually the best man at my wedding. So, and he's, he's still in. So I think he's got 22 years in, he's a command sergeant major doing big things. Um, and he always, he tells me, he's like, dude, you would, you would have been awesome. You would have been, <laughs> you would have been an awesome leader of men. And I'm like, Hey, I love hearing that, but I go that path, but I appreciate it. But this is how I feel like, you know, this, this is the way that I can now give back, man, you know, in my own way and, and, and try to impact as many, you know, veterans as I possibly can. So it's kind of funny. I never thought about it when we've talked before, like we're exactly the opposite. You had your dare to be great moment to go all in towards something big and you didn't take it. I just wanted to join the air force to be good at computers. And then somehow the Marine Corps came into my life and (laughs) I went towards something that was super crazy for me, for my point in my life, only because I didn't have the balls to tell them no. (laughs) Absolutely, man. It's a crazy dichotomy we had. (laughs) Yeah. And it's also interesting of how you're, even though your, your life path has took a different path, it still ended at the same spot on the other side that there's a world where you could have been doing this exact same thing. Had you even served the military too? 
It, it, it is, man. And you know what? I, I do feel like I'm a patriot at heart, man. Like, I do. I love this country. I love anything, you know, all branches of the military. And um, You pee red, white, and blue? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so go ahead and unpack what it is that your your book is going to try to deliver to uh, veterans when they, when they were going to read it. Sure. So um, the book is called School of Grit. And it's not necessarily a book that's geared, you know, 100% towards uh, the veteran community. It's actually it's geared towards anybody. And, and so it's based on, loosely, it's based on my life, at least, at least the being of it. And uh, when I look back at my life, um, things just kind of came easy, whether it was getting good enough grades in, in high school, not having to study your butt off, you know, to pass, things like that. Did I apply myself in high school? Probably not, but I didn't have to. I just, I, I had that aptitude. Um, and I'm not going to get into the argument of whether you're born with that or, 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 or you do have to do some sort of studying to get there. That's for, that's for another, another topic. But I look at that. Um, my, I looked at my family life. So I'm the oldest of four. And I had a great upbringing. My parents are still married today. We have a very loving family and family comes first um, and will always come first with me. It's something I learned from both of my parents. So, you know, I never had to experience, uh, you know, divorce or growing up in quote unquote, like a broken household, you know, things like that. Um, health wise, I've always been healthy, actually most just about everybody in my family has has been blessed we we have had some issues just here here recently um but what i'm getting at is i, I never really felt like i i knew what i was truly capable of right like things things had come things had come kind of easy to me like you know I, I went high school then went to college got through college i had trouble getting jobs when i graduated um but I, I circumvented that, grew past that, and then, you know, I had some some really good careers and still have a really great career going in, in the higher education space, which, which, which I really like. Um, but when I, when I was 35, I, I was just staring at myself in the mirror, and um, I, I couldn't answer a question, man. And, and the question, the voice that was speaking to me was, I think it was God. And I, I'm a I'm a spiritual person. I don't I don't go to church probably as often as I should, mm -hmm. but um, I, I am spiritual. I do believe in God. And the voice I heard was, you know, you're you're not you're not pushing yourself. You know, you're capable of more. And I'm like, well, what you know, what is it? What 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 should I do? And I happened to that day. I was on the computer saw a video on YouTube. I just stumbled upon it. And it was this uh, company called Seal Fit by uh, Com Commander Mark Devine. So he runs it out of California. And Seal Fit is a, it's a program that um, teaches physical fitness, but also uh, mental toughness as well. They have a, a program called Unbeatable Mind. And man, it, the video just like spoke to me. I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to, I'm going to sign up for that. And I Are you normally the kind of guy that just randomly signed up for stuff like that. Out of I, I will like, I'm the type of person. If, 
if something's speaking to me right then and there, I'm just going to take action right there. I'm not going to care. I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going to go after it. And that's, that's something my wife actually just recently told me. She's like, you know what I love about you? And I was like, is this a loaded question? Or what? <laughs> is this uh, a setup? Yeah. And she, she's like, when you get inspired, you, you jump in with both feet and you don't care. And you'll, if there's a wall, you're either going to go around it above it or through it. Like, that's just you. And I was like, thanks. You know, I really appreciate hearing that. So long story short, um, was, was looking into the seal fit piece and then they, and then they had another video and you, you could actually still Google it. I think to this day, if you type in like seal fit coaches and look it up, it'll bring up something called Kokoro camp. Okay. And I didn't even know what Kokoro meant, but Kokoro means, I believe it's a Japanese term, but it's, it's the uh, blending of your heart and mind into action is what Kokoro means. It's like some samurai stuff, right? There. Yeah, exactly. Going back to like some samurai days. And what Kokoro Camp does is it's modeled off of Navy SEAL Hell Week, which is typically, I think it's like a week. It's like 120 hours straight with zero sleep. Um, this is a step, very step down version, but it's open to civilians and it's 50 hours, actually over 50 hours straight of just nonstop uh physical and and mental beatdowns we'll just say with a purpose i mean they all have lessons behind them and i pulled i, I saw the video and I, I still remember it to this day it was it was mark divine on there and he said rejoice and adversity he's like rejoice and adversity right and i'm like okay he's like how do we grow as human beings it's through adversity and dude, that was like the biggest light bulb that ever went off, off of my head. I was like, I haven't faced enough adversity in my life just because of what I was telling you earlier. Like my life had come relatively easy. I mean, it wasn't always peaches and, and roses, but overall, when you, when you hear other people talk about their childhood growing up, you know, I was never beat as a kid. My parents were both married, very loving household, great home values. Like I didn't have that. I feel like success finds people faster that had more adversity growing, assuming that they can break free from their, their, their upbringing. That's something if you can, if you can break free, like Tony Robbins, all of the the greats, they all came from a very, even Oprah, Oprah comes from nothing. They all do. Right. Like the, the most successful people often come from some of the most adverse situations if they can break free, which is a big point. Because what that adversity does, man, it just, it builds that muscle in between your ears, man, which is the most important muscle. It's that mental toughness piece. So I, I, I pulled the trigger and my wife thought I was flipping nuts. Um, I don't know if I can cuss on this podcast. That's why I use flipping. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I pulled the trigger, man. And uh, so long story short, went through Kokoro camp. I was class 38. And, and and ended up graduating. I think we had 50 people start. Only we lost half the class. I was one of the oldest at the time. One one of the tallest. I was 35. They're calling me grandpa. <laughs> Pretty funny. Which probably just like in your head, like I got. I'm gonna make this. I'm gonna finish to the oh. end because they were getting oh, yeah. on. For sure, for sure. So um, I, I just that weekend. Literally, I felt like in that weekend because that was the most adverse experience I had still have had to, to in my life 
But what that did was I felt like I lived out like a decade's worth of experience just in those two days, man. Because you kind of went through like all the highs and lows of life from like losing people, which nobody, you know, God forbid, died. But we, you know, people that quit, some of your friends that you made while we're there, uh, to just, you know, continuously getting beat down to, to, to wanting to quit. I mean, let's, I, I didn't just breeze through it, dude. I wanted to quit all the time, man. It sucked. It, yeah. was, it was horrible. It was terrible terrible conditions but something happens man when when you're when you kind of meet yourself for the first time you really find out what you're made of so yeah that's that's what my book um school of grit is is all about it takes you through uh my experience in kokoro camp it'll take you through each evolution uh that i went through during those 50 plus hours then i tell you uh the lessons that the navy seals were uh were teaching us along the way because it wasn't just it wasn't like real buds, you know, I do want to make that distinction. Like I have, dude, I don't have any, I do not want to be a Navy SEAL. So I'll, let's just get that straight right now. <laughs> and it was probably just a little bitty taste, you know, of, of, of what, what buds could possibly be like. Um, but, uh, you know, what, what it did, man, just the impact it made for me, it was just, it was just incredible. So I, I learned a ton of those lessons. Like I said, like a decade's worth of lessons just in those short 50 hours. And then I take it a step further, man, in the book, and I apply it to um, to everyday life. So whether it's raising kids, uh, you know, being a husband, uh, working at a job, I apply I apply those. So I think that's I think that's really the piece that'll re- resonate with with the veteran community, since y'all have been through some sort of you know boot camp, some sort of style of that, and maybe even further, right? Depending on what schools you may or may not have gone to. Is just you know that that grit um, that you build in those picker schools and how you can apply that to life, right? Because they you get trained up when you go in the military, right? They train you for that particular job, but when you come home, and especially if you're transitioning out, there's not a whole lot of training out there to to be a dad that I've seen. We know there's certain communities that exist, um, like like Larry Hagner's Dad's Ed's group. Um, which, which, which I'll drop, which has made a tremendous, you know, impact on me. But, um, I mean, think about how many people are out there that, that don't know that even exists, you know? Yep. So I think that's, I think that's the part of the book that's really going to resonate with the veteran community. It's just how that all applies to civilian life. And there's a part that you were talking, unpacking there that, uh, our common friend in the Alliance, uh, he taught me this that to rephrase kind of, and I didn't really have PTSD. So this, when he described it like this, uh, it really helped um, frame it a different way that instead of like PTSD, it's really more like post-traumatic growth disorder. Like you just experience 50 years of life experiences and sometimes 10 minutes. And it's really trying to unpack all of that growth. And it is really like you just learn how to lose a friend, which isn't something maybe you'd learn till you until you're 40 or until you don't learn to be alone in your family or lose your family. If maybe you're the only one survived until you're really old, you don't know what it's like to have all your friends gone and you're 88 and all your friends that you knew have already passed. Those aren't things that you're supposed to learn when you're 22. And there's a lot, when you've talked to a veteran, is there a lesson with adversity and how to apply it that you've found most useful? You know, it's... Or a question that you ask a moment? Absolutely. I mean, the thing I was thinking of right there is 
um, just, just that mindset that it can always be worse. And I'll, I'll give you an example. So one of my, one of my friends is, a is a first Sergeant in, in the national guard here. And he was talking to a person on his team that he leads and, and, um, his subordinate was, was wanting his opinion on, on life basically. And what this, this subordinate had like four purple hearts had served. I don't know how many tours it was just like four or five. I mean, just has been through the ringer yet he's asking for help. Right. Which is so to me, so beautiful, you know, mm-hmm. asking your, you know, your boss, right. For, for help knowing that, you know, he hasn't seen as much quote unquote action as, as the other guy had. So um, I, I, that, that's where my mind immediately went is just, just having that mentality of, you know, no matter how bad it sucks right now, um, no matter what I'm feeling, no matter how gleam the outlook is like somebody has got it way worse than I do. And that, that gives you the fire to, to, to just keep going. I feel a lot of times. When you switch into the coaching business, there's something that you, 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 our mutual friend, Larry Ash taught us the desired end states. So unpack that a little bit of what desired end states is and how you use that in your coaching program. Yeah, man. So shout out to, to Larry Ash. Um, so yeah, desired end state, right? So it's critical. It's the first thing you should, you should think of in particular, if you're a, a veteran looking to, Maybe you're still in the military, but you're looking to reinvent yourself doing something else, which is totally cool. Um, or if you're in in the military and you're looking to actually get out and actually get into civilian life, you know, a lot of people will just run and get that first J-O-B that kind of comes their way, right? And then, you know, six months, a year into it, what happens? It's like, ah, eh, this isn't exactly what I thought it was going to be. Um, you know, I'm having trouble relating to uh, maybe, maybe, uh, you know, coworkers at a particular company, things like that. So what a desired end state does is it basically gives you what your new mission is. So uh, desired end state is a clear description of the environment that exists at the successful completion of the project or problem you're working on. So before as human beings, it's, it's totally natural when we're presented with a problem, what do we start thinking of? We start thinking of how to solve that problem, right? Which mm-hmm. is necessarily terrible because you're going to need to think about that at some point. But if we can just take a step back and think about what the end goal is, like where we want to be. So what's the feeling and emotion uh, that we want to experience? Like basically like what's your why? Like, you know, Simon Stenick's deal with, with, with why, which is a fantastic book. And then um, more so than that, it's, it's where do you want to go? And more importantly, too, where do you want to stay away from? So if we can nail that, um, we can come up with a clear mission for for what you want to do. And that's going to craft your new purpose in life. Because that's ultimately, that's what I see a lot is, uh, in particular, I I find this a lot with people who've been in just longer, right? Particularly people who've been in 20 years, even longer, they get out, they retire from the military. They got a nice little nest egg, right? They got the retirement, but it's like, I don't know what I want to do with the rest of my life. Yeah, you're and at 40 and now you got it. Right? And it's like, hopefully you got a lot of life left. So it's like, what am I going to do? You, you don't have that purpose anymore. You don't have that mission. 
you don't even have that team anymore, you know, that, that, that you're used to seeing day in, day out. And that's when it becomes scary. Kind of like what you were talking about, like being, being alone. It's just that sense of, uh, of, of, of being alone. That's what we want to, that's what I try to, to help out with. So part of the, when I first heard the desired end state, it sounded exactly what I needed. And it's one of the reasons why this podcast exists is because Larry's wife, Anne walked me through this exercise and my desired end state was at this point in life, I want to be a dad more than anything. So I need to create a life that gets me closer to that. So starting a dad podcast was the best way to facilitate that. And for me, it really helped. I had, I never had a lack of ideas of where I wanted to do outside of my day job of a side hustle. So it was always, how do you pick the right one? They were all good from my point of view. They were all equally valid and they were all, I'm kind of a, a Swiss army knife. So I like doing a lot of different things. I'm a little bit drunk on curiosity and I, so that made me good and have perspective in a lot of areas, but then it just gets me overwhelmed. And this desired end state cut through all of that. And there was only one idea left that fit the mold. So, and it really paints your picture. I, the other part that I liked about the process was when you get to the desired end state mentally, when you're, when you're trying to describe it, you will physically describe what would happen if you don't get there. Am I mm -hmm. saying that right? I feel like there's another way they say yes. it. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's basically, it's, it's what you want to stay away from. So it's like, and it's like the doom and gloom of it. Like you're really going, what's, what's at stake if this desired end state, it could be divorced. It could be your kids don't know you, your kids abandon you. These are the worst things that could happen, which is on the opposite side of that desired end state. If it doesn't happen. Yeah, that's a great point. We, I tend to start with the, uh, start with the negative first. What happens if you don't achieve it? and keep peeling back the onion and eventually I can get to some pretty crazy stuff. You know, I, I know it did for me like, wow, I'm going to be depressed or have severe anxiety or, you know, or you were going to be that classic uh, laying on your deathbed, meeting the Brad Ritter that could have existed. Like that's the best way I've heard described the devil. Like the devil wins when you see the person you could have become on your deathbed. Dude, uh, that's, I, I love that, man. I, I'm just, I'm letting that sink in. Cause I, I love what you just said right there. You haven't heard that before? No, I don't think I have. Not put oh. like that. <laughs> yeah, it's not mine. It's from uh, Napoleon Hill's uh, The Devil's... Oh, I can't think of the full title of the book, but Napoleon Hill was a secret book that he wrote in the 20s that never got released and didn't get released by his family until 2011 because they thought it was so controversial. And uh, if you don't know Napoleon Hill, he's the author of Think and Grow Rich and uh, mm -hmm. what's the other one? It, uh, Influence Friends? No. Something along the lines of influencing people. And uh, this book is based on a conversation that he made up with the devil, that he had a conversation of how the world works. And he wrote it in this book. And he wrote that, like, the devil wins when, the, when you're lying on your deathbed and you get to meet the version of yourself that you could have become. Like, I hear that playing in my head over and over multiple times a week of starving the fear, doing things that scare the hell out of me because... Honestly, it's really about painting that picture of what that looks like, me lying on my deathbed and seeing that version of Ben Colloy walking by that scares the hell out of me even more. So it's like outweighing the fear on one side. It's like that scares me more than whatever I'm doing now. So I'm going to do this. Love it, dude. Um, have, have you read um, David Goggins' book or listened to his audio book? I haven't, but it's been coming on my radar like three or four times between the community that we're in. It's, it's getting a back up there. Because that guy's it's, got it. I've heard he's a Navy SEAL as well, and he went through 
like what it sounds like almost hell literally of like forging the, the iron in the forge of the hottest furnace. <laughs> this whole life that. was hell, um, which is interesting. And I won't go too far into it, but uh, I just, it's, it's one of my favorite get the audio book too. It's better. Cause he, he, he talk, it, it's like a podcast. It's like this, it's like a podcast interview while someone else is reading the book. It's, it's fantastic. I've never heard it done like that. It's something similar um, about that. And I can't remember what chapter it is, but something to the extent of, you know, when he goes to heaven or hope, right. Hopefully you go to heaven. Right. But so mm-hmm. up there and, 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 you know, God's talking to you. It's like, will show you this highlight reel of, of your life and all, all the stuff that you could have achieved. Right. And it's like, okay, are you, did you do all this stuff or did you not embrace the suck? Did you not starve the fear? Did you, you know, all those, all that, all that stuff we can say. And did you just kind of live a just quote unquote normal sheltered life? And he's like, I hope I get up there and God's like, you shattered all my expectations because that's coming from God. Right. Cause you just yeah. know his, you gotta know his background and his story. I mean, it's incredible. He, he speaks to everything from, you know, from being the only black kid in school to being, ob- the dude weighed 300 pounds and had mm-hmm. hundred pounds in like three or four months to even try out to be a Navy SEAL. And then he went through buds like three times. And that's just that piece. Rain. He went to Ranger school and, ultra marathons and just all, all sorts of cool stuff but uh it's it's fantastic read man but when you were telling me that about napoleon hill i was like interesting because it's like the opposite way to explain it yeah it's kind of opposite because this one comes from like you're in heaven and they're showing you this highlight reel of your life and how awesome you know you could have been and it's like okay well did you actually do that or did you get close to it or, or were you not even close were you so far off the mark like I don't think we're going to let you in or something. You know, I don't know if that's the direction it was going, but it, it was interesting. In the book. There's a, I listened to Christian radio on the way to work and there's a song and I, I'm going to murder the name. I can't even think of the title of it, but there's a verse in the song and they're talking about like, you have all these things wrong in the world. There's crime, there's rape, there's murder everywhere. Why don't you do something about it? God. And the song, the reverse responds like I did, I created you. Hmm. Hmm right there yeah it's the same kind of idea like i created you to to, to freaking fix all these problems and yeah or not to fix all of them but i created with the you you with the unique purpose to go out into the world to fix some portion of it and it's i don't know where this conversation is going to go but this is where i'm going to go with it after <laughs> is uh I, I i totally believe that and i think it's it's a very small percentage of human beings that are terrible people and should be you know locked up or whatever i think people for the most part are good and they want to help so you just gotta be vulnerable enough to open up put the armor down this is Mm -hmm. what the veterans a lot about is putting that armor down and that's done through trust and it's just, it's amazing what happens when someone's willing to have a real conversation with you, man. Like we're doing now, you know? So I'm going to put you on the spot. Yeah. So I can imagine if you're telling a veteran to put the armor down by vulnerability, then you have an equally vulnerable story to lead with. What vulnerable story could you share with us and pull the armor down as an example? 
That's a good question, dude. So that is exactly what I do. And that's, that's, that, that's a way that I try to, you know, bring that wall down as quickly as possible is just telling them, you know, how messed up, you know, my life has been in, in, in one aspect or another. Um, so I primarily work with veteran dads. That's, that's the, that's the group that I, that I primarily work with. And obviously as the name would state, a dad means you have children. So, um, I was a terrible dad up until, um, probably three years ago, I'd say, which is when I met, um, Larry Hagner from the dad's edge group, our mutual friend. And, you know, other people might not say, oh, you weren't that bad, you know, my family, but because they, they, they knew me on the outside, but they weren't, you only Facebook approved Brad Ritter. Yeah, you don't know what, what, what's that? Sorry. The Facebook approved Brad Ritter. The Facebook approved Brad Ritter looked great. <clears throat> and that's kind of what I talked about in, in my book was, you know, on the outside, everything was good. But on the inside, I, I just, I knew I could be better. I was just, I just felt like I was a shitty dad. And a lot of it was just because I was very selfish, man. I wasn't, it was all about me and it wasn't about them. And then, you know, joining, joining uh, a group, which is, I mean, it takes a lot of, you know, trust to join an online community yeah. and open up. We joke about it, it, but we both went last year to a, a, a random place in St. Louis to meet a bunch of random dads that we met on the internet. But it's true. And it was it was one of the mo most emotional, uh, emotionally charged meetings I'd ever encountered. It was it was hard to even explain, but it was for like all the right reasons, you know. But I was just emotionally drained from that weekend. And and where I was going with that is with these with the power of technology and like Zoom platforms like we're on right now and and whatnot. It's um, there's there is actually safety and distance. You know what I mean? So like, I'm not physically in this interview room or like if I was going to, uh, you know, see a therapist or something and I'm in the doctor's office on their couch. Yeah. We're talking about in each, person, each other's personal zone. Right, man. We're, we're, we're out of that, but we can see each other through video. And what I find is, uh, in particular guys, dude, they'll open up, man. Once, once, those, once those walls go down and it's amazing. The, the conversations that 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 happen and, and appear. So that's, there was there was something I uh, I learned at this summit we went to last year together that Jason McKenzie shared, and I reshared it with him that it's impacted my life in more ways than he can count, and even I can count on my hand of the power of vulnerability and going first. Mm. Like the world is literally waiting for someone to tell their story first to give other people permission to one feel that they're not alone, and two to share their story to help lift up someone else. Like it's almost like a domino effect, but it literally takes like a domino, one domino to start the chain of effect of vulnerability at levels that you can't even really understand. And what this, our community that we're part of often teaches me is that it doesn't have to be a clandestine, horrible story. I shared a simple story about not having friends and the amount of people that came up to me almost in tears because I shared a simple story about me not having a lot of friends in my life. That was a simple story to me, but to someone else, I gave them permission to, to breathe and that your heart can start beating. How did that make you feel, man, when they came up to you? It, it, was, it, was, it was validating for me. And then it was even just, it made me feel empowered to go continue to keep repeating it. And that's, 
what ultimately a lot of the the emotional debt that we carry as veterans gets caught up in is this one, you have this society shooting you that you shouldn't do all these things with your emotions. But at the same time, it's like you need to have an opposite George day and just start doing the opposite of what people tell you to do with your emotions, like feel them, understand them, scream them out loud, get angry, punch something. Uh, like these are the things that help you move through an emotion. They're not meant to be bottled up and stored on a shelf. They're meant to be felt and understood their warning signs for something going on in our life. And we need to understand what they are. It's probably one of my favorite episodes of Seinfeld, by the way. <laughs> it is. I, I use it often. And uh, uh, I remember the moment our other mutual mentor, Vince Bogisi, put that in his book. And I remember reading that and I was like, I had no idea he was a Seinfeld fan. Now I know why we get along so well. <laughs> what a great show, man. That's spot on. <laughs> so what desired end state have you created for yourself? If you were to uh, read it out. Um, so I wish I had it. It's like a paragraph. I should have it committed to memory, but I actually have to pull it out and you hit me on the spot. But I'll give you like the... Uh, give us the bridge version. I'll give you the... You know what? I, I will... Um, I'll give you the bridge version right here. I think I actually have it. Yep. Bear with me. I have it saved in my desktop. So I'm on my computer. At least it's handy. Yeah. Let's see. All right, so this, is, this isn't the full desired end state, but this is more of like a uh, like, like core values, like really speaking to like who I am as a person. Because uh, I'm a big believer that you got to know who you are first. Um, ha having, a good, having a strong why is important, no question. But you're, you're going to have like, you're going to need a bucket of whys through life. They're going to change just depending yeah. on. You know, Your season of life requires a different one. When your kids exactly. leave, you need a different why. Exactly. So mine is, I have mine actually put on a, a picture of my family, which I absolutely love. And I have it hanging in my uh, master bathroom it's on our mirror. So I see it every morning. So when I'm brushing my teeth, I look up and it just reaffirms what I'm doing. So here we go. This is word for word. So okay. it's, um, I honor my family by having the courage to step outside my comfort zone and rejoice in adversity. I grow daily through self-discipline and seek to evolve as a husband, father, son, brother, and friend. I live a healthy lifestyle and push my perceived limits in order to test my will and prove what's possible. I seek out the fun in life and find the humor in any situation. My name is Brad Ritter. I love that, man. <laughs> it's yeah. good. That's what I, that's what I wake up to every morning, man. That's, that, that's, uh, that's at the heart of it, man. That's what it's all about is just, is, is me. And I, 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 I like putting that last piece in there, humor. Um, I just, I do, I, I try to make when it's sucking and you know, you just don't want to be there or something. I just, I, I try to get through a lot of things with humor and just walk through life with a smile on my face, man. Right. You're talking about the, I am Brad Ritter. That, that's right. I am Brad Ritter. I think the other part, whether you consciously know it or not is, uh, whatever you're dealing with, it also helps own it. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, funny story. So the first summit that was last year, uh, somehow, coming out of it i got known as giving good hugs like they were really good <laughs> hugs and so then i became this guy that gave good hugs and everybody i met up with always made a joke about the hugs i've really just owned it and so now at this summit like i 
I was given like extra strong hugs just because that's who I was. <laughs> and, uh, I was on one podcast last uh, or this past winter and uh, the host asked me for a rapper name. And I was like, I really don't have a rapper name, but I was like, I could go with Big Hugger B. That works. So like part of it is I am Ben Cloy. I am a guy that gives big hugs and I don't really care what people think because it's part of me. And it's, it, I like what you ended there with because on your shittiest day, uh, you can remember I am Brad Ritter and it comes in a complete package. It does. It, it, it does, man. That's, that's so cool. And the, uh, you know what the hugging just reminded me of too? Um, not to go completely off topic, but I feel like, I feel it's like all on topic. we're just going to go. And this is something I, I learned in, in, um, with, with the group we're in is when it comes to hugs, you know, when we hug our children and again, this was, something that I changed, but going back when I considered myself like a shitty dad, uh, if I gave my kids a hug, it was okay, pat them. I'm done. Checkbox. Right. And I've completely reversed that. And I, I hold on until they let go and dude, it could be, it could be minutes, but man, that's some, that's, that's the most precious time to me that's the most precious time you can spend with your kids man it's just like embracing each other and you have know, you ever the, read strong father strong daughters i've heard of the book man i haven't read it no uh, your daughter's age so you're at the age where it'd probably scary i read it when my daughter was like three so it wasn't fully scaring me but it did scare me and i repeated it often in the podcast that uh hugging your daughter there's a 60 percent chance less chance of having sex by the age of 12 just by hugging Whoa. your daughter Okay. Because, of, because by investing in that connection with you, your masculine energy, they won't go out into the world to seek it. Because if you don't give it, they will go out of the world to seek it for the first person. Mm, man, that's awesome. Who wrote that book? Uh, yeah, to put me on the spot. Meg Meeker. Okay. Meg well, Meeker, she has a, bo- a son book and a father. <laughs> you reminded me of a story of uh, this. Uh, so I've been dropping my kids off at summer school for uh, this week was the first day and my son started crying on Monday and it was in like the last very moment and he was doing fine right but then and he's pretty emotional four-year-old boy and I was really proud of myself looking back because I did exactly what I felt like I should do I just I just held him and let him cry and just rubbed his back and it may be like 30 seconds, he stopped crying and then looked me in the eye and said, when are you picking me up? And I was like, right before lunchtime. And it was good. And we've, he's cried cool. every day this week so far, but every day is beginning less. And I'm not judging. I'm telling them to stop that emotion. I'm just being there with him in that moment to reaffirm what he's feeling. Yeah, I, dude, that's, that's beautiful. Uh, again, I, I had it all wrong years ago. I would have been, I would have been the, hey. Stop crying. I stop fucking crying, you know, just turn, turn it off. And, uh, I don't do that anymore. It's, it's an emotion and I dude, you handled that brilliantly. So kudos, man. To you could have been differently on any other day, but th- somehow this week it's been good. Uh, it could be part of the, f- maybe I'm just building up to the, or I'm more calm before the storm because my wife's going to China this p- next coming week and Ooh. single dad's going to be all week from sat from Friday to Saturday, just me and three kids. So I'm taking vacation off for the whole week. So that's kind of like Whoop. insurance policy that I survive. That's good. That I don't have like too many pressures in my life that I can just show up and be dead and work through. So China for a week. Wow. That's, uh... School district pays for it to go over there and kind of like, it's like a teacher exchange kind of. They teach, she teaches something over there and then they teach her also for different 
examples for what stuff they do. Interesting. Yeah, that's something that, um, again, like looking at the similarities between um, civilian life and, and military life so being gone, right? So in uh, the military, you could be gone at whatever, for schools, being deployed, what, what have you. And in the, in the civilian life, like uh, for us, I know you travel. I travel as well, man. That, that is totally taxing on a family. Mm-hmm. And it's easy, especially for dads in 2019 in American society to just prioritize their career um, and to not recognize um, what was needed. Uh, that uh, Bob Martin, the guy that I was telling you about, I just interviewed, he got a divorce when he was 34 and his pretty much his role as a father. And we talked about it on the podcast and it was really powerful. He saw his role as a father as being the provider that you could work 12 hours a day because that meant he was just providing more. But the other categories of where he was supposed to show up were bankrupt and it all yep. came crashing down. It's like, I've heard you say multiple times on your podcast, how to, how to kids spell love. T I M E. That's right, brother. That's, that's what they're not going to remember how much you made, what your W2 look like, all the, all the gifts you got. They're going to remember, were you there ultimately or were you not? So as we wrap up the episode, let's leave dads with some action items with creating a desired end state. What's the short, shortest process to start one or where do you begin to try to start putting the puzzles together of figuring out where it's supposed to go in the end? Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's a great question. So there's all sorts of tools out there um, that, that you can use, but the, the ultimate thing is, and I would, I would encourage you know, sitting down with somebody to actually craft this. Um, it doesn't have to be, you know, quote unquote, like a coach or whatever, just, you know, somebody who has your best interests at heart. And I'd, I'd go through, um, really it's three steps to the process. So when you're, when you're looking at your desired end state, what you're going to want to do, number one, is you're going to want to share your background of history, right? You got to have that common uh, concept of, uh, of, of operations. So if I'm sitting down with someone, um, it's the first time I've met them. I can't possibly craft, you know, your, your, your future life without knowing where you've been and what your, your history is and your background. So we're going to dig deep into that, man. Like that generally takes the most amount of time. I've had it take two hours before, um, with, with, with certain individuals just cause there's been a lot to unpack there. Um, but what comes out of that is, is just, it's so emotionally charged, but that that's where we start. And then uh, the second piece where we'll go from that is once I once I'm on a, a level playing field and I, I know what your your background is and what your history has been, we're going to look at um, obligations and commitments. So we're going to look at okay, what's your current state? What are you obligated to do? Uh, what do you what are you committed to? What are your non-negotiables? And then like what do you have available? You know, and that can be looked at as like time money are you you know subject matter expert at something you can get paid for you know whatever that might be i mean there's different questions we'll go through on that and then um the last piece is we kind of tie that all together and we look at um at the future and and it's like where do you want to go and what do you want to stay away from kind of like what we were talking about earlier we usually start we usually start negative uh that way we can end positive so we'll start negative and and really do a, a deep dive, um, sort of like a 
It's like one of those uh, vision type exercises where you almost like close your eyes and somebody's asking mm-hmm. you. You keep going down that track, like, okay, if X Y Z happens, how would it affect this? And then how would it affect that? And then you you get into some pretty pretty scary stuff, man. Honestly, it usually ends up being like you're gonna be you know depressed or divorced or your kids are gonna disown you or you could be suicidal you know I mean that's the type of level we're trying to get to because ultimately that is where you could possibly go if you don't take care of um, the the obligations and commitments piece but then then we we do that mind shift and we get away from the negative and I usually tell people to take a break you know because when you've been caught in that negative setting for a while it takes a minute to kind of shift gears and then we go totally positive it's like all right what happens if we accomplish this, man? What does this open up? What future does that allow? You know, and that's where that's where you get like the really good visions of of where you want to go. And then I help them wordsmith all that into uh, a paragraph similar to to kind of what I had just shared with you. And then that becomes their their desired end state. And I mean, you know, that can change obviously over time and with certain scenarios. But what that does is once you have that desired end state. Now you can start crafting different, you know, courses of action to get there um, and, and, and working through, you know, any potential contingencies you can think of and, and so on and so forth. So there you go, man. And I can, that, that's pretty much exactly the process I followed to get to mine for the dad podcast. And I can imagine that uh, the downside for a veteran, and I often talk about, um, how when you're in that, when you have the, the wall up and you're not being vulnerable, you're not talking about what's going on in your head, that voice gets louder and louder to the point where it's the only voice you can hear. And it generally only comes to one conclusion that your family would be better without you. So you almost want to get them as fast as possible to that reality and move them past that, like to the, to the ludicrousy of that answer. Because a lot of times no one ever gets the point past that question and answer because they've already taken their own life. Absolutely. And it's, you know, if you're, you're out in the field, you know, you, you've got your mission, right? There's all these tactics and strategies that go along with it, but that's your mission. And that's exactly what the desired end state is. It's your new mission, man. You don't want to be a, uh, what is it? A Ronin, which is a, a samurai without a master, right? <laughs> you don't want to be floating around with no purpose, um yeah it just leads to it leads to bad things especially if you if you are alone and don't have friends and and you know nobody to talk to so so luckily i'm an organized podcaster and i actually found my desired end state that i crafted positive all right let's yeah lay it on me man at least i'm pretty sure these were the final copies these are close to it so the negative side we'll start with the negative to avoid an environment where i feel like i'm not accepted that i'm not worthy and I don't trust myself so that I don't surrender control of my life over to my ego and lose my wife, ensuring that I make the most of the time that I've been given. On the positive side, so that's my worst case scenario. The positive side is to create an environment where I feel hopeful to give the gift of hope to other families and dads because I have achieved personal freedom, enabling me to ultimately provide the gift of experiences and travel to my family. That's awesome, brother. Love it. I hadn't read it in a while yet, so it's nice to good. remind myself. You do. I mean, it's it's good to bring it out, constantly remind yourself, and you should you should absolutely feel, uh, you know, emotionally charged with it. 
And to be honest, if you don't, I went through the, I actually had to go through the process a couple of times because I'd get there and I'm like, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I guess it sounds okay. But it's like, that's not what you want. You want to be able to like close your eyes, you know, put your hand over your heart or whatever. And it's like, man, are you, are you feeling this? Is this your pledge of allegiance? <laughs> right. Is this like, are you feeling this? Or are you just kind of like, eh, whatever. I want to get this exercise over with. Yeah. I like that. What's your, do you have any, uh, favorite story they'd like to share of a positive outcome of someone that crafted this life other than yourself as a spitting billboard of, uh, of this? Is there someone, a story that you want to share how someone's moved their life forward by having this? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've got a, I got a buddy who's, uh, getting ready to trans tra transition out of the military. He's been in, uh, almost 20 years. And this was, I was like, Hey dude, um, I want to do, I want to do this with you, you know, cause I, I know how powerful it is. And, uh, it, it's, uh, it, it, it's given him just a new kind of like it's, it's a new purpose, you know, cause before, you know, 20 years in, um, you know, you, you, you've had that purpose. You've had, as I say, you know, no one joins the military to be alone and make their own rules. Mm -hmm. yeah. When you get out, <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's a little, it's a little bit different. Um, but, but since then he, he, um, he, he's gone to work in a, in a corporate gig, but it's, it's around a, uh, a charity, which is near and dear to, to his heart. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's beautiful. Now, I don't know what, I don't know if it's all gonna, you know, if he's going to retire from there or what, but at least for now, man, um, he feels like he's doing, you know, passionate work, things he was actually put, um, on this earth to do, man, that's, that's ultimately what it's all about. When we had Andy Stump on the podcast, he said, even as a Navy SEAL, it's so hard to get caught up in the the uniform, the identity of what people look at you as a Navy SEAL. But when he started thinking of it just as a job, it was a number. And it wasn't about something that by wearing that uniform he became, it really just gave him the tools to really become the person that he was inside versus the person mm -hmm. that was attached on the outside. And we've been talking really heavily in the podcast lately about legacy and that many veterans get caught up on what that legacy of their service meant. Like, why did I die and why did he survive? And why, mm -hmm. why did I get to come home and my, my brothers didn't? And in reality, that it's because we never switch from our legacy of our service and focus on the legacy of our family. Like, everything in the military is a fact. It's over. It's in the past. There's not a single thing or thought that you have that allows it to change. But the one thing where all those tools and experiences and growth, as we talked about, happen is in life with your family. Like, we had a podcast uh, episode, uh, uh, Reese Lauder. He was on the podcast, and he was a combat correspondent in Afghanistan and Iraq and saw a lot of things over there as well. And he came home, and during his transition process, his wife was diagnosed with brain cancer. And we were talking on the podcast that in some ways, a little bit of what his experience in Iraq gave him the growth that he needed to go through one of the hardest things he could go through. And he's my age, 34, around 34, I want to yeah. say. And like, without that extra growth, it could have been something that destroyed him. So it wasn't yeah. something that held them back. It really allowed him to walk through something that is the most scary thing you can think of is losing your wife. Absolutely, your life, dude. Before your life has even got started. Uh, absolutely it's 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 a whole adversity piece man I, I go back to and when you're in you know if you're in the military um it's all adversity or a lot of it is right it's being yep. shoved at you all day every day 
um, especially if you're deployed, um, which is how you can get those decades worth of uh, mental toughness, emotional resiliency, whatever you want to call it, to be able to use that to go into life and, um, and just kick ass, man, and help people. I mean, that's really what it's all about to me is, is service to others. So. And even Andy Stump, he was telling like he'd like to get to a point where he's not known as a Navy SEAL. Like he's created so much of an identity of who he is outside and value mm-hmm. of what he is to the universe that people think of him as Andy Stump versus Andy Stump, the Navy SEAL that flew 40,000 feet in a wingsuit to raise money for the Navy SEALs. Like that's all part of that identity, but he wants to be something different than that someday. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, man. And he he's even, uh, he was uh, starved to fear a little bit and uh, he moved his family to Montana back to where his wife was. He wanted to get outside the normal world that he was living in and he decided to create a new one. So I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned for getting outside of your life to see where you need to take it. It's funny how when you, for, for me, when I experience that, it's always when I'm around nature. Uh, it's something about nature, man. Just doesn't. I think I agree. It's why veterans are always going fishing and in the mountains to work through their issues. Yeah. And I'm a, I'm a big fisherman. That's, that's my favorite hobby. And someday I will be, I have a horrible story that I've been fishing multiple times and I'm 34 and I've never called a fish. You never caught one. I have never caught a fish. It's you got a stain in my existence that I don't spend enough energy to get rid of, but I have been legitimately fishing with all the right stuff theoretically. And it just hasn't worked in my favor. When I catch one, it'll be like a million bucks, but uh, I'm not proud to say it, but I'm a 30 fold year old person who's been fishing and never caught a fish. Dude, call me. We'll fix that right away. I've had a couple of people in the dad's group say that like, it's dude, a gar- it's I just want to drive up and get you on the boat. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So after the seal fit, did you connect or do you go on any type of uh, regular nature hikes or anything like that? Yeah. Um, well, it's funny. So after seal fit, it's, um, it, it was a weird scenario because what Mark divine, the question Mark divine posted to my class that graduated right afterwards, he's like, what's next? Cause you got to keep pushing. So, all right, you had this awesome, audacious goal. You know, you worked your butt off to get it, which, I mean, I trained hard for, you know, four to uh, five months uh, to achieve it. And then you achieve it. And now what? Um, there's something called, like, the arrival fallacy. I don't know if, you, if you're familiar with that. And it's I, like, uh, Just recently I've heard it explained. Yeah, and it's an interesting concept. And it's almost like one that the American – American dream is built on because you actually never get there because it's just consumerism tells you, you should keep buying more. Exactly. Exactly. So the idea is just to, it's, it's, it's it's to, it's to keep pushing. So yeah, I still, I still absolutely get into nature. Um, I'm fortunate enough. My parents live on a lake about 30 minutes South of here. So I can easily, easily attain that and, and i take my kids fishing and they've caught lots of fish which i'm sure i'll put a smile on your face as i'm looking at you because you my haven't, kids haven't caught one either and they've been a few times <laughs> so absolutely i still like to um sign up for something that scares me once a year you know something sort of epic so so this year and and, and usually in the physical sense i just i find um, 
I find peace through suffering as crazy as that sounds. It's just, it's just true. Like I just, I love a gnarly workout, like give me a, a, a 45 minute uh, hit type workout where I'm just, you Smoked know, Smoked and exhausted. Yeah. Where you're so gassed, like literally all you can concentrate is breathing. Like that's, that's like meditation to me. I don't know. That's just, that's like, that's, that's where I get it. But uh, so anyway, long story short, uh, two friends of Two friends of mine who who are um, in the guard, uh, we're we're gonna do a go ruck uh, star course. It's a 50, 50 mile race, which scares the crap out of me, dude. Because the longest I've ever been on a ruck is easily under half that distance. So is this you and Dan? What's up? Is this you and Dan or someone else? No, someone else. I think Dan's gonna be there though. I was yeah. gonna say it sounds right up his alley. Oh yeah, I think I'm pretty sure Dan's gonna be there. I think Jason McKenzie's gonna be there too, um, if I'm mistaken. But it's it's in Indianapolis, so that's my big like scary uh, physical one. Um, but even even way bigger than that. Um, going back to that that question of, and this is something I talk about in my book, School of Grit, of you know what's next. Operation on your life is next. That's that's what I feel like. I've been here to do and put here to do is to take this knowledge, uh, take what I'm good at, which is, which is coaching and helping people. And I want to apply that to the veteran community. So that's my next, that's my next big, scary, audacious goal. Cause I'm not gonna lie, dude. I'm, I'm a, I mean, I'm a civilian. I've never served. So I, I had to get over like, Oh man, how am I going to talk to veterans, man? I don't, I don't have that experience. Like who's going to listen to me? How are they going to trust me? You know, you start getting all these yeah. negative emotions and negative self doubt in your head and we all get it no matter what we're doing, especially if it's something new, but it's, man, you just got to put that stuff aside and you just got, you just got to do it, man. You just got to get out there and do it. Put yourself out there. And I can imagine when you talk about uh, what's next, that's a question that's never really asked to veterans. We all we, we have the process the military gives us, which is oh, what's next is a job, oh, what's next is a family, and then what's next is a depression that follows because you end up in a world that you don't actually recognize. And I can imagine a lot of veterans hearing this right now, probably just feeling like the life is a neutral, like they lived and did all these epic things, and it's not that their life just no longer is in drive, right absolutely right needs needs a new direction man gotta get out of that that stalled zone because mm -hmm. there, there's there's more there's more than just your service there's a lot more yeah and there's other ways to challenge you mentally and physically as well there's a story that uh i don't know whether you'll laugh or cry about it but i'll tell you any i don't think i've told them on the podcast yet so going back to okinawa it's 2000 uh 2004 i just got on the island I was never good at running, so I already had that against me. It's like breathing underwater over there. They make you wear a white shirt when you first get there to distinguish that you just got to the island. So if you drop, they react a little bit differently. Uh, and our platoon sergeant was the poster board Marine, and we're running. And I had pretty much known my Marine Corps career as the guy that was always falling out of formation during the running. So I'd always kind of always had this idea of giving up in the formation. That was already something already there in my head. And at the top of his lungs, he turns back and he, sell, and he says, Kaloy, are you weak? Thinking he's going to motivate me. Me, instinctively, without even thinking about it, I just answer, yes, sir. 
And I remember this moment like it was yesterday. It's a little bit, it used to be like a plague. Like it was kind of like, that was the default state of, yes, I am weak. What do you want me to do about it? Accept it. Uh, but at the same time, I remember that moment as uh, kind of like my dare to be great moment to move past that to, it'll never happen. Um, but if, if I were to replay that, like getting to a point where, and I'm, I'm positive I'm there now. I've worked through my stuff enough to say that, like, if he yelled it back, I would say yes, sir, or I am, or no, sir, I'm not weak. But um, that moment plays around in my head over and over. <laughs> and it's amazing, right? Hey, I suck at running too, so it's all good. <laughs> but like the Marine Corps is a big giant running club. So when you're not good at running, everybody just kind of like should you into guilting that you just suck kind of. It's hard not to feel like you suck. And um, even like towards the very end, I got my, my very be best three-minute mile was 22 minutes when everybody else is usually when they put their effort in, they can get it 20. Like I put my best effort in going to the gym and aerobics during lunchtime the best I got was 22 minute run and 10 pull-ups. That was like, that was the max I could got, which equated to my gym fear. When I got out, like I had this idea that I did give it my all and I got nowhere. When I get nowhere, but I didn't get to where I needed to go, the finish line of what the perfect PFT in the Marine Corps was. And that fear of failure scared me for almost 10 years. And mm -hmm. it wasn't until Chris Hughes pretty much held my hand through the gym and just gave me the workouts. And I just needed to show up that, that took a huge pile of fear. There wasn't of, am I doing it wrong or right? I just need to show up and do it. So, and I think that's what you've got with the coaching is that so much of what we need to deal with in life is overwhelming. And there are processes that work, but you can't hold the flashlight and walk at the same time. You need that person in front of you. And I often describe what Chris Hughes for me was like, it's, it's like the yellow brick road in the land of Oz, but he was laying brick by brick in front of me as I was walking. I didn't have to worry about that. Mm -hmm. and then those bricks just told me where to go perfect man that's a great analogy and that's i've equated that a couple different times for coaching and even when i give other people advice about going to the gym i'm like if you've got a big pile of fear you need to outsource some of that because it makes the burden of trying to walk through it a lot less and it becomes almost just easy and now after a year i've almost i've gone to the gym four times a week now that's outstanding, man. And I think the what next for me uh, is uh, a marathon. I've never done a marathon, and I'm scared of running. I hate running. So I ultimately feel like that tells me that I need to do it more and get through this suck and the limiting belief that I'm not a good runner. And I think it's more about training. And I really, I've been, I, I, didn't, I found it in the oddest places. So on days where I was maybe overly tired, because I go to the gym at 5 in the morning, and there's days I'll drag my ass to the gym, but just not mm -hmm. feeling like the weights. I'll go on the treadmill. And because I hate running, I'll just uh, walk on the treadmill really fast. And then there was another guy next to me. He pumps it up to like 12% incline. It looks funny. And I was like, I should try that. So I started doing that. And I would just walk at 12% incline for like 20 minutes. I could run really well after doing that. If I lowered it back down, sped it up, I could run a mile almost without really any of my legs shutting down or any. And I was like, I think I just need to train differently to prepare for it. So it really helped affirm that I just didn't apply the right process to get to where I wanted to go or the result that I needed. Yeah. If you keep doing the same things, you're going to get the same results. And you have to really ask the question of what those conclusions are telling you and how those conclusions are driving your life. Like a conclusion that I'm not a good runner will drive my life to never do anything related to running. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I mean, a lot of that's, 
you know, fear-based, which, I mean, fear drives a lot of our choices. It can almost be argued it drives every choice we've made. Yep. You know, the girl we ask out um, to the job we interview for to, to, to whatever. And um, I know uh, Larry Yach, who, who we mentioned earlier, uh, puts it puts it really eloquently um, that you have to you have to realize fear fear and courage go hand in hand and what he what he was mean by by telling me this is is fear is simply an opportunity to show courage so if you let me give you an example so um, I don't like are you afraid of snakes at all? I absolutely hate it. My daughter loves them and wants me okay. to read books all the time. And I'm like, I can't do it. I can't perfect. Do it per, per, perfect analogy here. So like, I'm not afraid of snakes. So if I, if, if we're together and we're walking in nature and a snake goes by or, or say one's coiled up and I, I go and I pick it up, am I showing courage for me? No, I think you're just doing something. I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not afraid of it, so yeah. it's no big deal. Uh, but if you, on the other hand, go pick up the snake, you're absolutely showing courage. So, um, what Larry was trying to impress on me is, you know, those who those who have the most fear also have the biggest opportunity to show the most courage as well. So it's just you know it goes in that whole whole mindset of how you actually view it mm -hmm. like talking about like i'm just not good at running well you know if you use carol dweck who wrote the book mindset just add that one word right that begins with the letter y it's three letters and that that word's yet i'm not good at running yet you'll get there so it's just just changing it up yeah, and uh, you hit something right on the head there it's it's almost as our society conditions us to be more mediocre and to do less exciting things with our life, the the capacity for fear increases almost. Like there's a greater quantity of it in our life that keeps us mediocre. It keeps us watching Netflix instead of doing something different. Mm -hmm. And I've never thought about this, so this is a fresh thought, but you could actually argue with the amount of fear people have in America for uh, doing something purposeful with their life, which I would consider it, an abundance, uh, ginormous amount. I couldn't even extrapolate a number to it. Probably relationship to the national debt. Uh, if you switch that capacity to the amount of courage, often that's also what America is great at. Is people often will say Americans have some of the strongest courage when we are tested. Like at nine eleven, that was mm -hmm. a very courageous time where people did things that scared them. Yeah, and it's almost a little bit like it's untapped potential in some ways that like. If you truly woke up America with the idea of fear, it's almost like when Japan bombed Pearl Harbor, Pearl Harbor and woke a sleeping giant. Mm -hmm. That potential was there. They just poked the bear and it started moving. Like if America really tapped into the amount of fear that we're pr producing in our life, because we do have the freedom to do anything, but we have this so much fear, we could really do every, anything and be the, the, the Americans that we are on paper at least. Absolutely, man. Just con control that. I mean, everybody has it. Everybody's scared of something. So just yeah. control it, right? Learn to control it. I like to, I always describe it as a sword of two sides. One of fear and one of curiosity. That curiosity is my compass towards my passion and that those will be the breadcrumbs to get me there. 
I skipped the passion question because it's just too overwhelming most days. But the curiosity question I can deal with, I'm actually curious about a lot of things. And the other side is fear. And that fear is the, the magnet that pulls me towards the greatest things in my life. The, the more something scares me, the more amazing something's on the other side of that. I would argue there's nothing amazing on the other side of holding a snake, though. But in general, <laughs> in different scenarios, the more something scares you, like public speaking, literally there's something more amazing on that that you can't even see. One of my very first cloyisms was, uh, if you're at the wall of fear, find the door and walk through because your destiny is on the other side. It's mm, awesome. That was before any, any of this ever existed, so it's crazy how those long ago cloyisms, that's probably like two and a half years ago, I came up with that one and how it still rings true today in my mission. Absolutely, brother. So, Brad, as we wrap up, what, where, where's the best place people get in contact with you? What kind of uh, website or is it email or is it Facebook? Yeah, so um, I am on Facebook. So just look up Brad Ritter. There could be a few of us, I guess, throughout the world. But um, hope, hopefully you can find me there. I'm not incredibly active on, on Facebook. So the best way to get a hold of me is just email. So just send an email to brad at schoolofgrit.org. So that's brad at schoolofgrit.org. And um, I will have a landing page actually launching at the end of this month. And that's going to be schoolofgrit.org is there. So check it out once up and running. It'll have uh, a link to the book and then a link to Operation Own Your Life as well. All right. And I'll include your email address in the show notes so people can uh, grab it quickly and get a message to you. Awesome, I've known man. Brad for uh, two, two and a half years now, I think, at least. Uh, and I was, we were, we're on similar missions. Our, our passions are going together. And I am honored to call you a friend, Brad. And I really appreciate you coming on the show. And we didn't talk about coming home, but I am positive in a roundabout way, not talking about family. We broke through some of the barriers that prevent dads from coming home today. Right on, brother. Hey, the, the pleasure was all mine. Thank you for having me on the podcast. If there's anything I can do to, to help out your audience, man, I'd, I'd love to because that's that's what I'm here to do, man. All right. Well, you have a great night, Brad, and thank you for coming again and coming for an new show. That's a wrap. And thank you for listening to today's show, and I really hope you enjoyed it. The lifeblood of any new podcast are the reviews. If you haven't reviewed the podcast yet on iTunes, I would really appreciate it, and you will help us get the message out to even more military veteran dads. As John Maxwell says, if there is hope in the future, there is power in the present. Dads, it's time to come home.